there are strange and haunted places in the world, and perhaps none more so than this pass in the Mam Turk Mountains of Connemara, this place known as Maumain, the Pass of the Birds. When I was walking here five years ago, this was where I found him, hanging by a string from a cleft of rock. Joseph G. Hunter, New York City firefighter. Many will tell you this is a place of ghosts. Maybe it's the misshapen cairns, the oddly constructed stations of the cross, the holy well or the mass rock, or even the little oratory, or just the shapes that seem to shift in your side vision whenever the Atlantic mist drifts in. It's a place of pilgrimage. You can see by the stony path it's well trodden. What I found all those years ago has remained on in some corner of my imagination. It was a laminated memorial card depicting the image of a young man who perished in the horrific aftermath of the World Trade Center attacks in 2001. Since then, there are times, and times when I least expect it, that he steps out to the front of my mind. I've been carrying a version of him inside my head, so on the 10th anniversary of his death, I figured it was time to learn his real story and answer the questions that have haunted me for so long. Who was Joseph G. Hunter from Squad 288 of the New York City Fire Department? And how did his image come to hang from a rock in the mountains of Connemara? I looked west to where the horizon and the sea fell away and headed for Manhattan. In a coffee shop just off Fifth Avenue, I meet up with Joseph Hunter's parents, Bridget and Joe Sr. Well, we met in Brooklyn, New York here. Yeah, that's back in 1960, 58, 58, all right? 1958. 1958. But tell, we tell how we... Well, I went to meet a bro uh, with my friend. We went to uh, his uh, aunt's house to visit and and she had company, and uh, her... I, I, I think I'll tell that story better than you. Huh? I was 19, 19 and a half. Yeah. And when I first came out, and we, I came in February, Joe came in April, and we met in June. And, right, yeah. uh, and, and I was still very, very shy, so uh, anyway, now you can tell the rest of the story. <laughs> and then what's to tell? Then, we, we then were, I was leaving we, the next we, we day. We set it up, we had a date. How did the memorial card wind up in Connemara? Um, my husband and I and another couple, we went on tour in Ireland, and my brother said to me one day, he said, let's go up to Maumean, he says, and he says, you can get a stick or a cane or whatever, and I said, oh, that's quite a climb up there. I said, I don't know if I can manage that. He says, yes, you can. So the two of us started off, and we borrowed sticks and canes from my other brother, and we went up there, and I decided I, there was a little altar made just from stone and I said this would be a good place to put Joe's picture so I put Joe's picture up I think on a piece on a rock I don't think there, I think if a good wind came it would probably take it away but I uh, put it on the rock and um, my nephew came along and punched a hole in it and put it on a string and uh, that was three years before you found it there but as a child I grew up there 
My, in fact, my home is the closest home to that place where my man, it's called my man. And we went there, and as kids, people, tourists used to come and ride their bikes and leave them at the end of the road where you started out from. And I gave my uh, nephew, who's there now, I gave him a new supplier card. So I said, don't ever let that place go without having a card in it. So I punched the hole in them here. I said, you, you supply the string, I'll supply the card. So now we keep a, a card there all the time. And to me, the memories are just... And every time I go to Ireland, I always want to go there because I love it. It has wonderful memories. And the fact, the last time that when I put the picture there, there's even rocks that I remember as a child stepping on, going there. And I said, oh, my gosh, that rock is still here. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's very uh, heartwarming. This has become a story of shrines. From the mass rock on Maumain to the shrine that is Joseph Hunter's bedroom preserved as it was on that final morning when he walked out the door. Okay, we are. this is Joe's room, and it's as he had left it, except we have a lot more pictures uh, because we made all these collage pictures when uh, right after 9-11, so we had a, a memorial for him at the firehouse, and we had all the pictures on display, and uh, these are all on his bed. We have these uh, little firemen that people had given to us, had sent to us, and uh, this is the day he graduated from the academy. And these are, you know, his books. These are his helmets. Some are from the city. Some are from the South Hempstead Fire Department. This would be the dress hat that they wore and the helmet. And when he was a Boy Scout, he made this, he made this little truck to race it. And, and it's just, all his things are still here. What he used for his shaving cream, his deodorant, everything is here. His toothpaste is here, toothbrushes. And um, it's just, I just can't throw anything away. I just can't throw it out. I have to save everything. And uh, I he had the fire department with the firefighter thing up there. And he was just, uh, he had a picture of a fire truck because he, he, he definitely was drawn to fire trucks and from a very, very young age. And uh, and one time I, I came down to, I came here to his room to clean his room. And when I finished, I put a note up over his bed. And the note said, I love when I'm neat and clean. Please keep me that way. Thank you. Signed, room. And he came along and he wrote, I love you. I love you. Joe. He puts hugs and kisses. And he he put it here. He took it away from the top of the bed and he put it over here just to remember that. But I, I signed it like I was the room talking. So this was his uh, <clears throat> he used to collect pennies, his big jar of pennies, and, um, and they'll have to stay there. There's nothing uh, to do with them. This is a picture that he made when he was in, I think he was in kindergarten, our first grade. He made this, when, it's a card. His dad was in the hospital at the time. And it say, he said, Dear Dad, I, I, hope you, I hope that you feel better soon. Miss you. Love, Joe. Another one. Dear Dad, this is a nice day. I finished my work today. I will play with Chris after school. Chris is a neighbor. I will play with Chris after school. Hurry up and get well. Love, Joe. The change of the season carries a particular poignancy for Joe Sr. I start uh, a month before. 
September. It's in my head. It's in my mind now. This thing comes, it's, it's, it's like a replay. You know, it's like it comes back every year, you know. And you get, uh, you get yourself in a, a state of depression, really. It's a depressed, depressing time for everybody, you know. I talk to some people and people uh, feel the same way, you know. It's just, uh, it's just the time, and uh, when you see a, cl a, a beautiful, clear blue sky, uh, no clouds, uh, that's when it hits you. When it, when September rolls around, you, you start getting that feeling already. It's crazy. Yeah, when I get to thinking about it, you know, we got a pretty good rapport, you know. We did. We didn't talk as much as we should have talked. We, we we got a rapport with each other, you know. He felt the same way I thought. I mean, he would sit here to say, "You can get him to talk to you here," and he, you know, he had a mouth too, by the way, you know. But you know, we picked his places, you know. Where he wanted to talk, where he didn't want to talk, he wouldn't talk. And we understood each other too. He never gave us any grief, ever. He's, uh, you know, I, I miss the guy. You know. I really don't. Even when he was a teenager, I would say, Joe, could you please be home at 11 o'clock? Joe would be home at 11 o'clock. And if he wasn't home at 11 o'clock, 5 to 11, 10 to 11, he'd call and say, Mom, I'm running a little late, but I, I'm on my way, so I'll be there in a few minutes. And always remembered us. When he was out for the day and he's hanging out at the firehouse here, you could see his car driving down the block, just checking, just checking on us to see that we were okay. And he was constantly checking on us and making sure that we were okay. And and this was his this was his goal in life. He was uh, he had a big heart. I I feel that he I don't I shouldn't say, but I really feel that he was too good for this earth, and that God just took him to Himself because he was really one true, great great person. He he had a lot of class. Streets are named after Joe Hunter, and there are babies carrying his name. Here in his home district, it seems that every second car sports his bumper sticker. Fire hydrants are emblazoned with the name Joe Hunter. He is the all-American kid, the Norman Rockwell creation, on his Schwinn bike, with his paper round and his Ked loafers. The kid who will shovel the neighbor's snow. He has become an icon for all those firefighters who perished on that day. Welcome back to Fox News. We have a very tragic alert for you right now. An incredible plane crash into the World Trade Center here at the uh, lower tip of Manhattan. It's believed the 737 has crashed into this speculation at this point, but at least three floors taken out, crashed into the side of the building. Joining us right now, uh, one so of the I producers put the, of the uh, I put the TV on, and, uh, and sure enough, as, uh, I see the hole in the side of the building, and the smoke's coming out. And I'm sitting there, now I go back to the Joe going to work that morning. This is the fire department is rushing down here, and everybody's going down. And uh, I says, uh, 
I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, what kinds of stuff's going through my mind now? Now I know, now I know he's there, because this is where they all head for. And they, they said, uh, over the TV, I said the firemen were rushing there from everywhere. Now, you can't go down there. You've got to run up the stairs. And these guys are all in pretty good shape, you know. And you've got to carry 90 pounds of equipment up the stairs, too. So I know Joe pretty well up because he was in good shape, you know. And uh, then after, you know, they keep giving the news what's going on, what's happening, and people are running every which direction. And I'm I'm tuned in here. I'm I, I'm waiting to get to the, the gist of the story up there. See what what what's going on. And uh, at the top of the the for uh, to get to the the end, the end of my story, I, I nothing's happening. He's just sitting there waiting. And uh, and all of a sudden the, the second plane hit. The other building, and I all hell breaks loose for, for real. Oh my goodness! Now you and uh, now it's obvious. I think that uh, th there's a second plane. One thing goes to the other, and the, the news is coming over. But this, the, like I said, the the, the, the place was, it was a turmoil. There was smoke everywhere. I mean, this was not normal smoke. It was part of the building was crumbling inside or something. Dust was coming out, you know. And the next thing, the building starts to crumble itself. You can see the villain, like it melted, you know? Like the whole building was melting on the way down. And I says, uh, this is bad news, you know? My, now, my wife is out running around somewhere. She ain't got a clue in the world what's going on. She knew a plane hit the world, so she's probably shopping somewhere with my daughter. They were out somewhere. I got into my car in the driveway. It was about maybe 8.30, 20 to 9. I was babysitting for my daughter's children. And I was, when it got in the car in the driveway, and I turned on the radio, and it said that a plane had crashed into the Twin Tower, into the World Trade Center. And it was also a voting day, so I went to the firehouse, and I went to vote, and I met some friends there, and they said, oh, a second plane went into the towers. And I said, oh, well, then that can't be an accident. That has to be terrorism. It can't be an accident. Right then and there, I decided that can't be an accident. Two planes... One maybe, but not two. Then I drove to my daughter's house, and I'm at my daughter's house. I put the baby, the baby was sleeping, and I'm folding laundry. And I had my daughter called, and I'm folding laundry, and I have the phone in my ear, and I'm talking to her, and she says, uh, now, it never dawned on me that Joe was there. Never dawned on me, because I figured they have to go from Maspeth to New York City. I said, no, there's no way they could have gotten there. No way. But then I thought about it later, and I thought about they close up all the streets, and they have the right of way, and they just go there as fast as they possibly can. And um, then I called my husband, my, my husband, about 12 o'clock, and I said, Teresa just came home from work, and I said, we're going out to lunch. And Joe said to me, he said, you have a very clear head. I said, why? He says, Joseph could be caught up in this. I said, oh, no, there's no way, absolutely not. I said, there's no way he could be caught up in this. I said, because he uh, he, he couldn't get there that fast. He says, well, he could be caught up in it. So I said, okay, I'll be no. home shortly. Uh, it's, uh, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to explain what was going on, really. You had to, you had to see this to believe it. That's why they could probably keep on And then, oh, incidentally... 
when Joe arrived, I saw Joe's truck arrive and going into the building. On TV? On TV. I saw Joe went in with the collar of his jacket up there, supposed to be proper dress, you know, he's supposed to be covered, you know. And that was him. And the other guys, there was a, the whole squad was there. And they all, they all went headed into the building, and the, they went into the building with the, the first one that was hit. That's where they went in. Now, he never was found where he went after he went in. But the reports have that he was at the 44th floor and some people, I figured you'd be all high. Some, they said maybe it was above that, you know, because he was a, he was a goer. And uh, then we start worrying. Now we start counting hours, you know, two hours, three hours, all night. Next day, we set out. We sat here for two weeks, still hope. I, 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 at the bottom of our minds, we knew he was gone, but we, we still had hope, you know. While this, while this breath in your body, you're gonna hope, hope this is turns out okay, but it didn't. Never showed. It still hasn't shown no, to this day. Always. You know, I think they said there's 252 guys that still wasn't found yet. Firemen alone, plus the others, the other people are working on the building too. And uh, we didn't hear a word until about nine o'clock at night. Somebody from the fire department called and said that uh, squad, the whole squad, were missing. They they didn't come back. They were missing. And that's when I felt I almost fainted. Actually, I I, I was holding my granddaughter in my arms. And I just kind of reached back and sat down quickly. And I felt like the, the blood just, my heart felt like it went into my toes. It was, I said, oh. And then I, uh, I didn't go to bed that night. I lay on the couch. I figured he'll come home any minute. He'll be, he'll be in any minute. And, um, and then I didn't sleep. But every time I, I was hoping he'd walk in the door and nothing happened. Then in the morning, the people started coming around again, the same thing. And then I had, I said, well, he could live for two and three weeks without food or water or whatever. So I still held up hope. I said, he's, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. He's stuck somewhere, and he's going to make it. And in the middle of the night, one night, I had a jolt. where I kind of jumped out of my sleep, and I said, and I could see him. I could see him pacing back and forth, back and forth. And I said, oh, my God, he's in a, he's in a spot where he's, 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 he's in a spot, and he's pacing back and forth. And that's what I saw. That was a dream, of course. But I jolted up, and, and I thought, well, he's alive. He's alive. We got a plot over here in the cemetery. We still got it. The fire department gave us a plot. Here's the plot. And we held the plot until there was no bot, no remains went in. And then we had to give the plot up. But we didn't give the plot up. We bought the plot. We paid the cemetery, but we got the plot and we own the plot. If we come, we get bones to go in there. But now they say that they're going to put them downtown in a, a vault down there. If they can't decipher who owns them, probably. I don't know. Well, what's bones, anyway? You know, that, that doesn't do anything for us. How long was it before you gave up hope? Oh, after a couple of three weeks. <laughs> that long, mind you. 
three, you're still hoping after three weeks. Maybe maybe he lost his mind. Maybe he wandered or, you know, shell-shocked. Who knows? But he, uh, nah, they said it's no good. And then somebody came along and says, well, you know, if they got it, the news starts coming out. What can happen? Now, the fire, the heat was so strong, so hot, it, mel it even melted the toilets. This is where all this dust is coming from. This is melting, m melted cement and iron and steel, all melted. They couldn't find any faucets from the bathrooms. That's all disintegrated. Now, where do you think a body's going to go? Huh? We got his helmet. That's the only thing we got from the whole place was his helmet. And the helmet looked like it was through a, a, an earthquake. You know? How many of his squad perished? Uh, 19. I don't really know how many guys. They've got parts of some guys. Just parts. And some of the guys weren't found at all. Like Joe, there's like, like three or four guys I know off the top of my head that weren't found. And all the guys have in his body, half of the guy over here, half of them over there. I did my best screaming and crying in the car. When I'm driving the car, I would put the windows up and I would do, I would scream at the top of my lungs and have a good cry. And uh, that, that, that helped me. But many times I feel him. I, I used to feel him there. And when I ask him to help me, and when I do cry or break down, I apologize to him. Because that would be the last thing in the world he'd want me to, to see me cry. He'd say, oh, stop it now. Cut it out. Don't do that. And I still apologize to him when I cry. <laughs> break down. <laughs> I said, Joe, you're listening. I promise I won't do that. I'll try not to do that anymore <laughs> until the next time. So. Do you believe you'll see him again? Yeah. I really believe that. And I'm going to be really pissed if, they, if I don't. They better not be giving me a story here. Really, I just I can't say anything plainer than that, you know. But we will. We will. I got faith. Yeah, we all got faith. Both she got faith, though. I mean, how can you go around you know, hold your head up? You know. They never found his body, and the discovery by a stranger of Joseph's picture on a Connemara mountainside might be as close as they'll ever get. Uh, there's been uh, times right after 9-11, and I used to talk to him and say, Joe, please, can you please come through to me, Joe? I want to see your face. Just just come to me in my dream so I can see your face. And one night in my dream, I was standing at the sink doing my dishes, and my Joe, my husband, was sitting at the, uh, at, at the table, and I could hear somebody oh, trying to open the door, like I heard the doorknob. And I said, oh, Joseph forgot his keys. Joseph forgot his keys. He's, he's, he's home. And I turned around, and we have a window in the kitchen, and I looked out, and there he was standing in the window looking back at me, smiling from ear to ear, just a big, big smile. 
and I started to walk to the door to open it, and I could see his profile, and he's still smiling and wearing the clothes that he wore when he was home, same jacket and everything. And um, as soon as I put my hand on the doorknob, I woke up, and I was very disappointed that I woke up. And another time, uh, he, um, my Joe, my husband, he had a dream about him. He was standing in the living room, and Joe came in, and he said, he said, Joe, are you okay? He goes, yes, I'm okay, Dad. So he says, where have you been? He says, not now. He says, I'll tell you another time. I, I can't talk about it now. And I also had another dream where he was standing in the garage, in, in, in the backyard, he was standing in the garage, and I went over to hug him, and he goes, no, Mom, you can't touch me. You can't touch me. And at that, he, he was gone. And every time that I really, really, I, I actually felt him, even in my bed sometimes, it was, I could feel, I, I'm talking to him, and all of a sudden I could feel the side of the bed getting warmer, even though I'm the only one in the bed, and I could feel this one, the other side of the bed getting warmer, and I said, oh, you're here, Joe, you're here, wonderful. And, thank, and I thank him for coming to me. So it's, it's a great feeling. And I talk to him all the time. I talk to him all the time. It's, it's, it's great. Do you find that notion of his presence, has that got stronger or weaker since, as the years have passed by? Since uh, it's gotten stronger, but he doesn't appear as often as he used to. And I guess it's because, in my mind, he's busy. He's doing something else, and I do. When I do talk to him, I say, "Joe, if when you're not so busy, could you, you know, come and see me? I want to see your face." And uh, he hasn't come in a while now, but I still feel him, feel him around me. I feel his presence I very strongly. Feel that he's with me all the time. We played quite a bit of golf together, too. <laughs> he used to come. He says, "I'm Poppy." He says, "Come in, Poppy." I got a problem. He said, "See you." I says, uh, you got a solution? He says, I do. I said, you got no problem. I remember, oh, it must have been five, six years later. He said, and he never forgot this guy, you know. Whatever he told him one time, he remembered. I says, uh, I got a problem, Joe. I says, he says to me, you got a solution? I says, I think I do. He says, you got no problem. It's like, just like I told him. Word for word, but like, like I said to him, like I said, you never, never, if you told him anything, you only told him once. A long time ago, a million years BC. Um, it's very fun. We, we've been finding a lot of pennies since Joseph passed away, and I really never knew the significance of it until somebody said, uh, well, there is a song that says pennies from heaven. And then somebody said that an angel throws down a penny to cheer you up. And we started finding pennies right away. And one time we were going to my uh, niece's my niece's baby's christening. And one of my other nieces was driving the car. So she pulled into a parking, a parking space, perfectly, perfectly perfect space. And I said, Joyce, no, don't park there. I said, there's another space right over here. Two cars away. I don't know why I did it. Every time it rains, it rains. And it's from heaven. Don't and the minute I opened my door, there was a penny. 
So I picked up the penny and I said, yes, Joseph's going to be at the party with us today. Joseph's going to be here with us today. That's how, that's the way. The other day, we were at the firehouse. I looked down and there was a penny right at my feet. And, and of course, it was tails. And every time I find a penny, it's tails. And I said, okay, Joseph, now you're laughing because you always, when you send me a penny, you, you just send me the tails. I said, what about the heads? <laughs> so, and Joe, my husband, Joe, found a penny that day too on the floor of the firehouse. And I said, he was here. He threw, he, he was here. He was here. He was there with us. I, I feel it in my heart. There's no question about it. If you had an opportunity to say something to him again, to his face, what would you say? If you had one chance. I would say, Joseph, I am so proud of you. And I love you with all my heart. And I always will. And there's not a day that goes by that you won't be thought about or in my heart. And I love you more than life itself. Oh, number one, I miss you, buddy. Yeah. It's a good question. <laughs> how can you... How, what What do you say, you know? Put my arms around him and squeeze him to death. If he wasn't already dead, I'd squeeze him to death. That's just about how I feel about him. And then I would put my arms around him and I'd give him the biggest hug. The biggest hug. I have hugged him in my dreams, yes, I have. And actually, I had one dream where he was there. Oh, there's another story. And I hugged him and I could feel him. I could feel him in my arms. But recently, maybe about, no, last year sometime, I had a bad cough, and Joe, my husband Joe said to me, he says, I have cough medicine. It has codeine in it. So he says, why don't you take it and go lay down? So I took a spoonful of it, and I went into bed. I didn't think I had slept. And I got then I, maybe two hours later, I got out of the bed, and I said, well, I didn't sleep. I wish I had slept. But as I'm walking out into the living room, I said, oh, my God, Joseph came. Joseph came. Joseph, I was dreaming about Joseph, so I did sleep. And the dream was I was sitting, I was in the kitchen, I was getting dinner ready, and Joseph appeared, and I backed up and sat down, and he came over, he put his head on my shoulder, and he had his arms around me, and I had my arms around him, and just smiling, a smile exactly as he had it. Didn't say anything, I didn't say anything, just smiled. Oh, yes, I did. I said, Joe, you have no idea how happy I am to see you. I am so happy you came to me. I'm so happy to see you. And that was it. And that's not so long ago. That's last year sometime. And I, I really think he came. And I, I didn't have any cough after anymore. It was gone. It was really gone. Uh, I didn't see him the night before he went out. I think we played golf about three days before that, four days before that. And we had a good round of golf, and uh, of course I couldn't, you know, he's got the stage now. I can't beat him, you know. He, I, he hits the ball a country miles, and I can't do that anymore. Even then, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, the other guy was as strong as a horse, you know, young. And uh, we, we played golf together, we had a good day that day, and. Uh, but he was in the house here, and he never spent a lot of time here, you know. He'd shower, sleep, have dinner, and then he's gone. 
He spent more time with the fire hose than he did at home. And he was always studying, always with the books. I said, what do, what do you want to do? He says, but he says oh, eventually, he says, I'm going to retire. I says, it was 20 years? No, no. He says, oh, 20, 30 years. I, he says, I'll, I'll retire. And then I'll do something else. You see, the kid went to college over here. He had a business uh, degree. But he still wanted to be a fireman. American attrition, symbolized in the death of Osama bin Laden, is of little comfort to Bridget. The only way that I would find closure right now is if Joseph walked through the front door. That would be my closure. And I'm kind of a little mad because I never did get mad and I never did get angry because I refused to get angry because then he would be winning. If I get angry and I'm holding this inside, I, he would be winning. So I'd be letting him win. And I refused to get angry. So instead of being angry, I just turned to prayer and turned to God. And Well, I always had God with me, but even more so. And he's the one who just kept me going. God kept me going. There's no question in my mind. And... Uh, uh, there is some relief that he was caught, that he's not out there still, but at the same time, I worry because he has a lot of, you know, there's a lot of terrorists out there, and I don't think we have heard the end of them, and it scares me. That scares me because I don't want to see another parent go through what we've gone through. I he Actually, my biggest problem was that he went too fast. He didn't feel anything. Look what we all these people have been feeling all these years, almost 10 years, the pain that we've been feeling. And we will feel it the rest of our lives. That pain's not going to go away. I, I'm just, I just hope that he was feeling some of the pain that we have felt, all the mothers, the fathers, the sisters, the brothers, the siblings, all these pain, that, all the people that went through all this pain. I just hope that he had some of it, or that he will still have some of it. My only wish for him right now is that he's burning in hell. That's how I feel. You wouldn't pray for his soul? Oh, no. And I pray for everybody's soul. Anybody that dies, I pray for them. All my souls are in my head. No, I wouldn't pray for his soul. Absolutely not. No way. And he's not... He, he won't even go where our children are. No way. He better not. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, I, I, I miss the guy. I really don't. It was it was just a, a joy to watch him. It was just a joy having him in my life, and 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 I couldn't have asked for any better son or a better person in my life. He was he was just my pride and joy. Every day I I wake up I I wake up in the middle of the night. I think about him. I think about him in the morning. I think about him when I'm in the car. I think about him when I'm everywhere. He's he's thought about every single day, every minute. And now when I hear a car at the curb, I hear a car outside, and I hear the beep, beep, I turn around and say, oh, Joseph is home, because he's setting the alarm on the car. Oh, Joseph is home. And then I say, oh, no, it's not Joseph. I still, to this day, almost 10 years, but it doesn't feel like 10 years. It feels like it's week, three weeks ago. Definitely not even not even close to 10 years. Because it's so fresh. It is so fresh in my mind. And that morning when he was, um, that morning uh, he got up and uh, because he had worked the 24 hour before that. And I said, Joseph, you look very tired. He says, I am, Mom. I said, you're working just today or are you going to work 24 hours? So he says, I don't know yet, Mom. He says, I'll call. I'll give you a call. 
And uh, I'm standing in the door. I kissed him goodbye. And I saw him go to his car and watch until the car drove away. And I said, God bless you. And please be careful and take care of yourself. And, God, and then I said, God protect him. And that was it. That was it. Over the ages, Maumain has exerted an influence on pilgrims. It has witnessed the great famine and Cromwell's army. St. Patrick may have slept here. The Mass Rock is a relic of penal times. And for those who believe, they may very well be spectres flitting amongst the tussocks of hungry grass. So I've made the pilgrimage once more up the path to the pass at Maumain. The card or one of its replacements still spins in the breeze. It hangs in a crevice of stone at the makeshift altar. There are votive items with it, a magpie collection of coins, flowers, baubles and prayers of intercession. The Hunter family gave me my own memorial card. I carry it in my wallet. They tell me it will bring me luck, that Joseph will protect me, that he may even walk with me. They never found Joseph G. Hunter. But today, as the mist moves in from the Atlantic and drapes itself in a ghostly miasma around this strange, strange theatre of rocks, I believe I know him a little better. <laughs> 